Welcome to the third episode of our podcast's second season, Scary But True Campfire Stories, brought to you by Dudes Camping. Hosted and narrated by Matthew S. Newbold. Thanks for listening, and help spread the word. Tell your friends, tell a stranger. Post it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other social media outlet that is upset about Elon Musk allowing more free speech and less cancel culture. Our goal is to share true stories of the strange, supernatural, ghostly, and unexplained as we gather around the virtual campfire. Or maybe you are sitting around a real campfire right now. Maybe you have a strange but true story that you'd like to share. Email us at dudescampingstories at gmail.com with your own Bigfoot, UFO, ghost, or unexplained supernatural story, and we'll consider it for broadcast. Don't forget to visit us on YouTube and Facebook at Dudes Camping. Why can children be so scary? We're used to seeing children behave certain ways, like children. But when they exhibit strange behavior that is accompanied by odd requests, foul odors, and jet-black eyes, this can turn the most fearless individual into a poltroon. How far back can these encounters be traced? Did this phenomenon really start with the advent of the Internet? What are the most common attributes associated with BEK sightings? Is there a plausible explanation? These and many other questions we will try to address in this episode. Just remember, when properly researching the supernatural and unknown, questions are raised, evidence is presented, but conclusions are simply speculation. The research in this episode relies heavily upon David Weatherly's book titled The Black-Eyed Children and can be found on Amazon or by visiting his website www.erielights.com Sit back, relax, and enjoy The Black-Eyed Children. Part 2 Many BEK stories online will take commonalities of the genuine cases and add something fantastical to try and make it unique, often turning it into clickbait. The real horror of these stories is not the added absurdities, but how out of the ordinary they seem. Hollywood has given us horror movies for generations, and they always try to outdo the last generation with gore, violence, monsters, murderers, etc. True BEK encounters might seem boring to somebody who's waiting for the boys to attack, or their alien parents to show up and pick up their hybrid offspring. But to the people involved... There is a real, intense fear that no Hollywood budget could reproduce. As you sift through the stories and cases, you become very aware of what sounds genuine and what is probably made up from what they think they know about the subject. As we look for the commonalities, we will note the habitual traits of these encounters to hypothesize whether they are hallucinations, a governmental black ops program gone bad, spiritual entities, or extraterrestrial in nature. We will start with John's encounter. My name is John. I joined the military just after high school and had been serving for seven years. I consider myself a level-headed, rational person, and I've never had any interest in the paranormal. But I had a strange encounter on a lonely back road in Texas. 
It was the summer of 2009. My family goes way back several generations in the Lone Star State. As a result of our long history, I have relatives all over Texas, from east to west. Each time I would get leave from the military, I would head home to visit family around the state. I was heading home on leave and stopped to visit my parents in the Houston area. After a couple days with them, I decided to take a drive to West Texas to visit some cousins on my dad's side. I loved driving the back roads of Texas, especially late at night. There were few cars out, and it gave me a sense of peace to drive under the starry sky. I was never a heavy sleeper, and I could stay up for long hours without needing rest, a trait that served me well in the military. I planned to make the trip in two legs, spending a day with a friend from high school halfway to my destination. I just left my buddy's house that evening after dinner, intending to make it to my cousin's house by early morning. My gas tank was full, and I had a thermos of coffee, so I set out for the long trek. It was a perfect night, not a cloud in the sky, so the stars were bright. I was taking my time. A lot of deer tend to cross the road late at night, and I didn't want to hit one. Around three in the morning, I hit a long stretch of road in the western half of the state, Houses were few and far between in this part of the country. Although I felt wide awake, I liked to drink coffee during these leisurely drives. I'd finished off half of the thermos that I'd refilled at a 24-hour mart, and it was time to answer the call of nature. I got to a length of road that was long and straight, and I could see there weren't any cars as far as you could see in either direction. There was plenty of space to pull over, so I slowed down, and parked just off the side of the highway. I went a few paces away from the road and took care of my business. After that, I just stood there for a few minutes to work out the kinks and look up at the stars. Couldn't have been more than five minutes total. My eyes were pretty adjusted to the dark, enough that I had a good view of a rabbit I scared when I was walking back to the truck. I decided it was time to get back on the road and passed in front of my truck to reach for the door handle. It was then that I received a shock. Standing just past the driver's door was a young boy. I jerked back with a start when I realized that a figure was standing there. He didn't move a muscle. I think if my eyes hadn't been adjusted to the dark, I probably wouldn't have seen him. I realized right away that it was just a kid, and that made me calm down a bit. I shook my head and said, Jeez, kid, you scared the hell out of me. This kid, he didn't miss a beat. He says to me, I want to get in your truck. I didn't say anything at first. I wasn't sure what to say to tell the truth, but I felt a cold chill at the boy's statement. I paused and took a breath, looking at the boy. My mind was racing, trying to piece together where this child had come from. I turned and glanced around in each direction, looking for any sign of a house. There were none to be seen. Even out here, most people left some kind of nightlight on after dark. I scanned the road, but there were no other vehicles visible in either direction. The boy still hadn't moved, and he now repeated his cold statement. I want to get in your truck now. I'll tell you, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I was having a bad, bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. 
I tried to reason with my brain, thinking things like, this is only a young boy out here. There's nothing I should be worried about. Nothing was working, though. I couldn't kick the weird feeling that just kept getting stronger. I tried to smile. Then I decided to engage the boy so that I could find out what exactly was happening out here in the middle of nowhere. Do you live around here, kid? I asked. The boy stood completely still and responded in the same monotone voice. Just let me get in your truck and we can go for a ride. Do you need to get home, kid? Whereabouts do you live? I asked. The boy remained planted in his position between the road and my truck, continuing to insist on a ride. We can get in your truck now. It won't take too long. I leaned forward a little to get a closer look at the boy. I wanted to see as many details as I could see in the low light. From his height and size, I thought the boy was around the age of ten. He was wearing a dull white shirt that looked a bit too big for him. I know what hand-me-downs are like, and that's what I thought this kid was wearing. The shirt tucked into dark trousers. The boy's hair was dark, probably dark brown, and it was shaggy, but not long. I couldn't really see other details too well due to the low light. Although the moon afforded some light, it was still very dark, and I strained to see more details of the boy's appearance. That nervous feeling I had was growing more intense. The boy had still not moved from his spot, but he once again repeated his request. His voice was more insistent this time in an attempt to get me to comply. Just open the door and tell me to get in. We'll have a short ride. I just felt like I wanted to run and leave that boy and my truck as far behind as I could. I realized I was squinting my eyes and I felt like I was trying to shake off a punch or something. It was a funny feeling. I knew right then I had to just get out of there. I shook my head and tried to clear my thoughts. I looked at my truck, then back at the young boy. I don't think so, kid, I answered. I took a step forward, just enough to get the driver's door open. I tried to keep looking at the boy as I quickly jumped into the driver's seat, I turned to put the key in the ignition and quickly started the truck. The truck kicked over on the first try, and I turned to look out through the driver's side window. The boy was now standing beside the driver's door, peering in at me. I've never felt like I did at that moment, when that kid was glaring in the window at me. I threw the truck into gear and floored the gas. A couple miles down the road, I stopped the truck and pulled off the road again. I looked down at my hands. I was holding the steering wheel so tight that my hands were turning white. I was breathing real fast, too. I took a deep breath and worked on calming myself down. All of a sudden, I felt ridiculous. I started to question myself, what in the world was I doing running from a child? Maybe that boy needed some kind of help. Maybe he was messed up in the head or something. Something caused my fight-or-flight response to kick in, and I couldn't understand what it was. I had a very primal response, but I couldn't figure out what had caused it. I composed myself for another moment, then turned the truck around. I was determined to return to the spot, find the boy, and get some answers. 
If the boy was hurt or in trouble, I would get him home. I put on my high beams and drove slowly back to the area where I had encountered the boy. It only took me one pass to find the exact spot where I'd pulled off the first time. I drove very slow while shining a high-powered flashlight out the window. I passed the light all over looking for that boy. I drove past the spot, down about a half a mile, and then came back. He was nowhere to be found. I thought he had to be close by. A boy that small couldn't move very fast. After a couple of passes up and down the road, I pulled back over the exact spot where I'd parked the first time. I got out of my truck and stood there with the door open. I used the flashlight to scan the area in all directions. Standing on that deserted road, my mind flashed back to that boy and I suddenly saw the image of the kid staring in the window at me. It gave me a chill all over again. I got back in the truck and drove away, but made sure to look at the next mile marker. I wanted to know where the spot was. I had originally planned to stop for an early morning breakfast, but instead, I didn't quit driving until I reached my destination. It was the early hours of the morning and my relatives had left the side door unlocked for me. Knowing I couldn't sleep after the night's events, I sat down in the living room and turned on the television. I just wanted to distract myself with something from the normal world, something stupid and simple. I just wanted that kid out of my mind. After this encounter, I completely stopped driving at night, preferring the bright light of the day for my travels. I've never really gotten that image out of my head. I get rid of it for a while, but it always seems to come back around. Maybe there's some explanation, but there was nowhere for that boy to get to, nowhere for him to hide, and I don't know how he made me feel so damn scared. He didn't really do anything and it doesn't make sense. In this case, John was unable to see if the kid had black eyes due to the low light, but he did experience other familiar traits found in BEK encounters. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Like what you hear so far? My name is Bradley Oliger, and the guy that does the podcast, he narrated my book, How to Unsuccessfully Promote a Fake Fight in Montana an incredible story about how I didn't get abducted by UFOs and thought I nearly came across Bigfoot, but didn't. It's actually a parody memoir of thwarting cabin fever. Go to Amazon or Audible or click the link below and get your copy before they sell out. Okay, digital copies don't sell out, but here's a quick sample. The darkness arrived before we could be ready. We did not catch fish, but we smelled like bait. At dark, in bear country. The course home seemed like an eternity. I've known females named eternity and always wondered if that would be an association one would want. We tend to reference eternity to something long and awful. The bear was mauling me seemed like an eternity. It took an eternity for the medevac to arrive. It must have seemed like an eternity for my parents waiting for the doctor to come out and let them know if I'd ever have use of my sexy abs again from the ferocious bear attack. I'd thereafter need an eternity of medical procedures. The writer had an eternity of overused and abused references to eternity. Aren't you glad we're not selling gold? Well, we are in a way. This book is gold. Visit Amazon or Audible or click the link below. The most common trait is the intense, 
unexplainable fear that accompanies these encounters. Human beings have an innate mechanism that sends adrenaline to our brains telling us to fight or run, the fight-or-flight response. Whenever we sense danger, this is usually set off by something we can see, but occasionally we will sense something is wrong. In the case of BEKs, what is being viewed by the eyes does not match up with what is being sensed. Very similar to somebody about to jump into a lake from a 20-foot cliff. Their appearance is often reported as having odd color and strange texture to their skin, almost artificial. They are reported as very thin or lean with baggy clothes that don't seem to fit. In most cases where the contactees are more aware of their senses, there's a lingering smell of garbage, sulfur-like, or rotting food. It could possibly be the smell of death, but most people who smell it have never experienced the unique and nauseous smell of death. Sulfur causes some to immediately assume they are demonic, because sulfur has been reported in the well-known documented demonic possession cases. But sulfur is not unique to demons. Anyone who has ever drank from a well might recognize the smell and taste of hydrogen sulfide gas. This does not mean you need an exorcist to filter your well water. But the next commonality is uniquely demonic and is the best evidence for an interdimensional or spiritual entity. The children need to be invited in by the contact. If these were hybrid beings of a superior alien race, then this would not be necessary unless there are some intergalactic rules put in place before they are allowed to molest humans, then this fact alone would rule out space beings. The most common telltale sign of a demonic entity is that it cannot take control without the host's permission. Even most alien abduction cases can be traced back to a moment where the abductee allowed some entry point, be it a Ouija board, tarot cards, mind-altering drugs, or dabbling in the occult and new age. Another very strange and unexplainable similarity in genuine cases is the foggy feeling accompanied by conversing with the kids. They often feel glued to the spot or find themselves about to open the door or squeezing the steering wheel so tightly their knuckles are white. When they finally realize it, they're shocked at their own behavior. Described as if they were being hypnotized, a numbness, or buzzing. Since there are identifiable traits in these cases, how long have these encounters been taking place? Is there any evidence from antiquity, or is this a new phenomenon brought about by the collective consciousness of an Internet hive? If we assume the alien-human hybrid theory, then it stands to reason that since the abduction cases seem to have come to public knowledge with Betty and Barney Hill in 1961, we would just be seeing the offspring of these experiments done in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But there is a case that might put the BEKs as far back as the 1950s, before alien abduction cases were ever mentioned in public. The following account was compiled from surviving family members of a man named Harold, who is now deceased. Their story was a family tale that had been passed down through the years. Each member of the family recalled the same details of the tale. My name is Harold, 
My family has lived in rural Virginia for generations. We're farmers and fishermen, hard-working country folk, what most would call salt of the earth. I lived in a particular region of Virginia most of my life and always called the area my home. But back in the 50s, when I was 16 years old, I encountered a strange child. No one could ever explain where the boy had come from, nor was he ever seen in the area again. I was walking home early one evening just before sundown. I was taking my time strolling along the dirt road when I reached the fence line that led to our home. There, leaning against the corner fence post, was a young boy of about 10 to 12 years of age. I slowed down even more. I was puzzled because I knew everyone in the small community, yet I'd never seen this boy before. I had a good-natured manner and would talk to anyone about anything. When I reached the boy, I simply started talking to him. The boy didn't respond. He just stood leaning against the post, looking slightly down toward the ground. Receiving no response, I wondered if something was wrong with the boy. I stopped talking for a moment before leaning closer. Hey, you all right? I asked. With this, the boy finally spoke. His reply was rather blunt. I want to go to your house. Take me to your house. I felt a strange chill at the boy's response. I wasn't sure what to say. I couldn't understand why a boy I didn't know was asking to go to my house. At that moment, the young boy looked directly up at me. It was then that I realized the boy's eyes were solid black. There was not a speck of white showing in those eyes. I began to feel very afraid. I looked up at the drive toward my house. I felt rooted to the spot for some reason, but my thoughts were focused on how fast I could run to my house. My thoughts produced a further comment from the strange young boy. He scowled at me and said coldly, Now, don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me to your house. While the comment seemed like a threat, it was the final straw for me. I launched into a mad dash up the drive toward my house. I was running as hard as I could and didn't look back for fear that weird child was following me. Partway up the drive, I heard a strange call behind me. It sounded like the scream of a bobcat. Of course, this screeching sound only served to help my legs move faster in my rush to reach my house. I think I must have angered that boy. He screamed out and I thought, sure, he was coming to get me. Once safely in the house, I slammed the door behind me. My parents, seeing me so out of breath, asked me what was wrong. I told them about my encounter with the creepy boy. Thinking he would get to the bottom of it, my father promptly walked down the driveway with a shotgun in hand. He found no sign of the boy that I had described. My parents listened to me recount the story a second time, asking a few questions along the way. Since they knew I was not one to make up stories, 
they believed my tale. I insisted that the child I encountered was solid and could not have been a ghost. None of us were sure what to make of this encounter. While my parents had heard strange tales in the country, they'd never heard of anything like this. My mother thought I had met the devil himself and had me off to the local clergy for a blessing. I don't think that the boy was the devil, but I'd never felt anything so sinister in my life, before or after that event. It is human nature to associate an unexplainable event to something that might make sense to us. Assuming it was the devil would make sense if we went through catechism but had no real understanding of biblical texts. Assuming it is extraterrestrial would make sense if we still believed that macroevolution was possible and had no real grasp of entropy laws. Could these encounters be demonic, spiritual, or interdimensional as the string theory in physics might suggest? Could they be extraterrestrial in nature as mind-altering effects seem to suggest? Or could it be as simple as a shared medical condition that most people are unaware of? Another scary thought is, has anyone invited them in and ever lived to tell the tale? There is an account that would seem to fit this scenario. We will explore these questions and examine the evidence next time in Part 3 of The Black-Eyed Children. Thanks for listening to Scary But True Campfire Stories presented by Dudes Camping. Narrated by Matthew S. Newbold. Click the PayPal link below if you wish to support this channel and donate any amount to keep us going. You can purchase audiobooks from Matthew S. Newbold on Audible and iTunes. Email us at dudescampingstories at gmail with your scary but true story and we'll consider it for broadcast. Please hit the like button if you enjoyed this story and leave a comment. It would help us greatly if you subscribed and left a review on your preferred podcast platform. There are certain people who do not want a narrative that opposes the mainstream, programmed way of thinking. So let's stick it to them and leave a five-star review. Until next time, we will see you around the campfire.